Now, at this point in the worship service, we open up uh, God's Word together. We read a passage, and then we uh, hear a short message on it. Actually, not usually very short. I apologize for that. Pastor Ian, too. Um, so, before we do that, let's uh, have a quick prayer of illumination. Let's pray. <clears throat> Blessed Lord, who caused all these holy scriptures to be written for us, uh, grant us now, uh, as we open it, grant us to hear them and allow us to understand them. Uh, you, Lord, use your precious words to teach us and rebuke us, correct us and train us in righteousness. In Jesus' name alone we pray these things. Amen. Now this morning, we'll be talking about uh, the parable of the workers in the vineyard, which you might have heard of. Um, and in order to properly understand that parable, we need to read a little bit of the context. Because Jesus actually gives this little story uh, as a response to his disciples, as a response to his disciples' wrong way of thinking. So we're going to start our reading today at Matthew 19, uh, verse 16, and we're going to go straight through to uh, the end of the parable, which is uh, Matthew 20, verse 16. Let's turn there together. Matthew 19, verse 16 is where we'll start. For those who don't know, Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. Matthew 19, Verse 16. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony, honor your father and your mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad, because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? And then this is the part where the disciples get wrong. Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And this is uh, the disciples' poor question. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or fields for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much, and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And now we come to the, the parable uh, that we'll be talking about today, and it's the second half of Jesus' response to Peter's question uh, about what's going to be in it for them now that they've given up so much for Jesus. So Jesus says, Matthew 20, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. 
He agreed them to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Now, as we just saw in that passage, uh, sometimes the question that somebody asks, it can actually reveal a lot about that person. And so often when it's, you're reading through a Bible story, uh, especially through the Gospels, it's really helpful to pay attention to the kinds of questions that people are asking. Because in this passage that we just read together, uh, Jesus says something remarkable. In response to the rich young ruler who believed he kept all of the commandments, uh, who was rich and so would have been considered uh, richly blessed, uh, probably loved by God. And in response to that man turning away from him, Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And then first of all, the disciples ask a good question in response to that remarkable truth. Uh, they ask, if this is true, if not even this rich young ruler, if he can't get into heaven based on his own merits, then who can be saved? And Jesus gives an awesome answer, an incredible answer. He says, with man, this is impossible. No one can get into heaven on their own merits. But, he says, with God, all things are possible. And then Peter asks one of these really revealing questions that shows where his head's at. He shows what's important to him and what he's thinking about. He, he asks, but what about us, Lord? We've given up so much for you. He's asking, Lord, Lord, this is going to be worth it, right? We've given up a lot of time, a lot of stuff to be with you. Is it going to be worth our while or not? And in response to this kind of mindset, uh, that God owes us something for what we do for him, Jesus responds in a really gentle and a really beautiful kind of way. I wonder if you noticed that as we read it together. First of all, he reassures Peter. He says, yes, Peter, it's absolutely going to be worth it. Everything that you've given up, you're going to get a hundred times as much 
in this life and then in the next life as well because you'll get eternal life with me. So yes, it will be worth it. But after giving that encouraging answer, Jesus goes to correct the heart problem that's been revealed by Peter uh, in this question. And he does that by telling us this parable that we'll be talking about today. Jesus is saying, you're going to get these awesome rewards, but we have to be clear, it's not because you deserve it. Not at all. It's not because of how much you gave up for me that you're going to get so much in return. You'll get a reward, but it's going to be all grace. And so he tells us this parable. This parable is of workers coming into his vineyard at different times. He tells us a parable about grace all day. Grace all day long. That's how everyone gets into his vineyard. And so we'll look at this parable in two parts. First of all, we'll see the gracious invitation of Jesus, the gracious invitation to work for Jesus. And then we'll see the appropriate response to this grace. So to start off the parable, uh, Jesus says that this is what his kingdom is like. It's like uh, they're in Galilee right now. There are vineyards all around. He says to his disciples, it's like one of these vineyard owners goes into town in the morning uh, to hire some temporary workers, to hire some people who are unemployed. And so we need to realize this was a, a really relatable example that, uh, that Jesus is using. Uh, you, you know, in, in our towns, in our cities, and even in Hamilton, uh, we have a lot of impoverished people uh, downtown. We have a lot of people who are often begging for money. And, and back then, they had that too. They had people begging for money. But they also had uh, desperately poor people who were begging for work in, in the city centers. And these people, uh, it wasn't uh, glamorous at all. They, they were looked down upon by society uh, as people might uh, turn away uh, from someone begging for money today, people would look down on these people. They, they would turn away from them. People who were just desperately begging for work, but they had no choice. These people, in a very real sense, they lived paycheck to paycheck. We need to understand their situation. If they didn't work that day, they didn't get paid that day. And if they didn't get paid that day, they go home to their family and say, sorry kids, no food today. Sorry, wife, sorry, myself, my own grumbling stomach. We don't have any food. And so these people were in a desperate situation. And so what Jesus says is in his kingdom, it's like uh, he's a vineyard owner who goes into town to hire from some of these workers. And he goes out early in the morning. Their typical working day, 12 hours from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So he goes out right around 6 a.m., and he goes to, to hire some people. And he, he calls the first few that he sees, he calls them to work in his vineyard. And he promises them one denarius. And so there, there's nothing unusual about that. A denarius was a, a typical amount of uh, pay for uh, an unskilled laborer for a day. Uh, so it would be like uh, one of us, it would be like uh, one of the landscapers here going into town and saying that they'll pay someone minimum wage to work for 12 hours. So at the end of the day, like 170 bucks. And so the people, they eagerly accept this offer. That's exactly uh, what they were hoping for, for a day's worth of work. And so the, the parable starts off really normally, but then it starts to get a little bit weird, doesn't it? Because the landowner goes all the way back home, probably lived out in the country somewhere, but then a few hours later, he makes the, the long trek all the way back into the city at, at 9 a.m. And he goes and looks for more people. And he finds more people desperately in need of work. And so he says, you too, you can come and work in my vineyard. Then he goes home again. But then 
He does this again at 12 o'clock, and then again at 3 o'clock, and then finally one more time, 5 p.m., just before the day is over. He goes out to hire more workers. And so this should seem surprising. This seems like a weird way to do business. Why wouldn't you just hire enough workers the first time? And if it's 5 p.m., wait till the next day. And then if you're paying attention to the text, if you read through it a bunch of times like I did, then you might notice there's something else that's extra weird that happens in verse 8. In verse 8, we read that at 6 p.m., when evening came, the owner of the vineyard who's gone out all day he calls the foreman to pay the wages. And, and so, well, we should pause there. And we'd be like, There's a foreman? There's a manager? What's the manager been doing? Typically, it would be his job to, to make sure that there were enough workers for the day. He would be the one uh, lugging it into the city. And if he didn't get enough workers, he would have to go back. And so, what's up with this owner? Uh, uh, why, is he, why is he doing this? Because clearly, it doesn't seem like the manager needed any more workers. He was fine. His vineyard didn't need any more workers. And so what we should start to realize is that the owner wasn't calling these people, these people desperate for work, because he was desperate for workers, but because they were desperate for a job. And then it starts to make sense, doesn't it? Why, why he went out in the morning and called people to work people who desperately needed some, a job, some money for food. And then he goes back home, and you can imagine just his compassionate heart. He knows there's more people in the city who need work. And so he goes back. He invites more people. You guys come work in my vineyard too. There's plenty to do. And then he goes again at 12 and at 3, even as late as 5 o'clock. And he calls these people into the vineyard because his heart goes out to them. He has compassion for these desperate, desperate people. And this, this is an important part of the lesson, this gracious invitation of the landowner, because this is what Peter and the rich young ruler and the other disciples, and often us, that's what they were missing. This is what they were forgetting. Uh, think of the rich young ruler. We just read about him. He was told uh, that if he wanted eternal life, give up your possessions and come and live with and follow Jesus Christ. And what does he do? He, he stops and he weighs the costs. And he goes away sad. Because he, he thinks that he would love eternal life, but the cost seems too high. Giving up all his wealth. But, but the thing is, he, he's missing how gracious of an offer Jesus Christ is making him. He's saying, give up your wealth, which doesn't satisfy you. Give that up. And come dwell with me instead. Come be loved by me and come and love me and learn from me. But the rich young ruler doesn't see it as a gracious invitation. He seems it as a too high of an obligation. And Peter, he goes ahead and he makes almost the exact same mistake. He says, Lord, what about us? We've given up so much stuff for you. We've given up so much time and effort. What are we going to get in return? Are you going to make this worth it at some point? And what Jesus is saying to the disciples is, don't you see? Don't you understand? You were like these people in the marketplace. You, you were these hungry and thirsty beggars before I came out and called to you to follow me. And now you're asking when you're going to get rewarded? And if you think
think about who the disciples were before they met Jesus, uh, then I think you can start to see just how crazy this is. Peter's the one who talks. So Peter and his brother Andrew, they were just fishermen. They were literally casting their nets out into the sea, working hard, when Jesus calls to them. Jesus says, come and I will make you fishers of men. And now there's nothing wrong, nothing against being a fisherman. They could have done this work well and to God's glory. But when Jesus Christ calls you and he gives you an offer to come follow him instead, what did they do? They dropped everything and they went. They got to go follow the Messiah and live with him and learn from him. The Messiah called him their friend. What a great invitation, what a gracious gift this was to go and follow Jesus Christ. But yet now the disciples are saying, Jesus, we've given up so much for you. Is it going to be worth it? And Jesus' answer is so beautiful because he acknowledges on the one hand that yes, they have given up a lot for him. Uh, but he tells them, you're going to get so much more in return. If you left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother, you'll get a hundred times as much in this life and you'll, you'll get eternal life to come afterwards. Eternal life with me as well. And, and Jesus doesn't take this lightly, what they've given up for him. Uh, you might remember in another text, Jesus describes discipleship. And what does he say? He says, when you become his disciple, you take up your cross and follow him. And Jesus doesn't say those words lightly, I don't think. If anyone knows what it means to take up a cross, it's Jesus Christ. He says, take up your cross and follow me. There's going to be pain. There's going to be sacrifices. But the Lord's answer still is, yes, you will get a hundred times more than everything you gave up. But nevertheless, your heart is in completely the wrong place. If you think of this more as a burden than as a light and easy yoke. Because the, the fact is, when I came to you, you were helpless, hungry beggars. And I came out to you because I loved you, and I wanted to show grace to you. And, and so, likewise, our Christian lives, they're, they're full of sacrifices, though I don't think any of us have given up anywhere near as much as the disciples did. But we are called to give up a lot. But Jesus is saying, even this, even this life, it is a gift. It's by grace that we've been invited to know Jesus Christ to be loved by him, to love him, and to begin to work alongside him, and by his spirit, to begin to be transformed into his image. And so often we forget this. We don't think of the Christian life as a great privilege, but instead we just think of it as a lot of hard work, I think. And I heard a really story, interesting story about this this past week from a, a pastor named Mark Clark. I wonder if any of you have heard of him. Uh, he used to be an atheist, but, but he became a pastor after he was converted. And he mentioned that before he was a Christian, when he was an atheist, uh, he had people who uh, would try and evangelize him. And what they would say is that uh, he was like a, a beggar. He was one of these workers in the marketplace. His life was useless before he came to Christ. And, and when Mark Clark heard that before he was a Christian, he thought it was arrogant and wrong and rude. He, he loved his life. He, he was happy chasing around uh, happiness and tracing around drugs and trying to earn money. He, he, was, he felt happy with those things. He didn't feel like his life was meaningless. But he said eventually he came to faith, and then he finally realized that uh, these people, they were kind of rude, but they were absolutely right. 
He looked back and he saw his life had no ultimate meaning, no ultimate goal. He was working so hard to get money and stuff, but it, it had no ultimate value. And when he became a Christian, then yeah, he had to give up a lot of the stuff that he had been doing, stuff he had been doing for fun or for enjoyment, but he gave it up gladly. He, he threw it all away because he saw making sacrifices for Christ was so much better. He, he was so happy to have rewarding work in Christ. He was so happy to be loved by Christ and to love Christ and give up things for him. But what Mark Clark saw was that uh, when he went back to church, these people who had told him before that he had no point uh, and that uh, life was far better as a Christian, uh, many of these Christians, uh, they've been invited graciously to the vineyard to work with Jesus, but they didn't act like it was a privilege. It seemed like they didn't think it was a privilege. Instead, they just thought it was a lot of hard work. And, and so instead of gratefully jumping into the work, uh, a lot of the Christians he met, they seemed to kind of be pulling up Peter they seemed to be counting up costs, recording all that they were giving up for Jesus. And they felt like it was just give, give, give. And so uh, they, probably, they probably wouldn't say it, but they would probably think things along the lines of, hey, Jesus, I am giving up a lot of time for you. I give you, up one, I give you one day out of every seven, for starters, uh, a Sunday. And then on top of that, I, I go to Bible study. I... Uh, I lead uh, small groups. I go to consistory meetings, deacons meetings. Uh, I join uh, team meetings. I go to the park. I make time for walks. I do all these things. I'm giving up a lot of time for you, not to mention uh, personal devotions, uh, family devotions. Lord, I am doing a lot. I'm giving a lot of time. I hope that you're going to make this worth it. And likewise, people wouldn't say, but they might think, hey, Jesus, I am giving you a lot of money. I turned down a job where I could have been making a lot more. I did this for you, Jesus. I hope it's going to be worth it. They, they think, I give a lot of money to the church. I give a lot of money to Christian schools. I hope you're writing this down, Jesus. Uh, I expend a lot of effort for you. A lot of effort as I read the Bible each day, as I actively fight against sin, the devil, and my own flesh. Uh, as I, I make time, I'm striving to love my spouse as Christ loved the church. Uh, as I just try and lead a Christian life to your glory, this is a lot of effort, God. And, and so I hope that you're going to make it worth my while. I hope this is earning me something. And this is how we can start to live when we forget what a privilege it is to get to know Jesus Christ. To get to live with Jesus Christ. To get to bring others to know and live with Jesus Christ. This isn't primarily a burden. This is primarily a gracious invitation to come and live our lives with Christ. Live our lives with the one who made us with the one who loved us enough to save us, to come and live with him again after we rejected him previously. And this is the problem here. Peter seems, in a sense, to be working and, and giving up things for rewards. And he's keeping score. And he's thinking he gave up a lot of stuff, and he will have to give up more stuff. And he wants to make sure that he'll get enough. But he's forgetting that the greatest thing that he gets isn't stuff at all. 
It's not created stuff. It's the creator. It's Jesus Christ himself already now and then for eternity. And he's forgetting that he didn't earn this opportunity with Jesus. He didn't pay for it. But instead, he was graciously given it by Jesus Christ himself. And then the parable continues. And in the second half of the parable, uh, Jesus teaches Peter the appropriate response to this awesome gift of grace. This gift, this invitation to come and live with him and for him. And what we saw in this parable is that Jesus has called all sorts of different people to live in his vineyard, to work in his vineyard, rather. And he called them at all different times of the day. He called some people, like uh, the disciples, I suppose, and he called some people early in the morning. People like a lot of us, probably, who grew up in the church. These are the first workers who were called. And they had the opportunity to work hard for Jesus all day. But then he also called people later and later, as late as 5 p.m., so that means, of course, the day is almost done. Uh, they, they have little left to give. They don't have much time to work at all. And the point that God's making in this parable is that Jesus wants to show the disciples what his grace is going to be like for these five o'clock workers uh, compared to them, the, the, the first hour workers. And uh, these people that, that came later, they, they clearly don't have as much to contribute as the people who have been there all day. And maybe that relates to some of us here today. Maybe we feel like we really don't have that much to offer God. And I think we probably should feel that way. What do we have to offer God? Then that way, I think we can all relate to the five o'clock workers. What, what's the gift going to be like for us, people who are nowhere near the disciples, who've done nowhere near as much work, who haven't given up anywhere near as much for God's kingdom? And the answer is a beautiful one. The answer is that Jesus loves us and has compassion on us, not because of how much we can give him at all. Instead, it's grace. It's grace from the first to the last. It's grace all day long. And I read the story of the, uh, from this past week of a man who was converted to Christianity at 103. 103 years old. And what did Jesus do? He called him into his vineyard to work. Uh, how much could he do? Probably not a lot, but, but God loved him anyway. And so he gives him the chance to come and work in his vineyard and to spend eternity with him. Why? Because this 103-year-old was so useful to him? Or simply because he loved him and had compassion on him? Likewise, we, we know, that uh, I trust most of us know, the story of the thief on the cross. The thief who was hung up beside Jesus. The one who uh, was rightfully being killed for his, uh, for his transgressions in this life. And at the beginning of his time on the cross beside Jesus, he insults Jesus. He mocks Jesus. But over time, over that time on the cross, Jesus calls him to himself. And he becomes convinced that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the Messiah. And so then the thief says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus tells him, today, you're getting your reward. Today you will be with me in paradise. Not because you're so useful to me, but because I love you and have compassion on you. And that's the lesson that Jesus wants to teach all of us. Uh, that we're all of us, each and every one, we're invited into his vineyard based on grace, not on merit. And so in the parable, the landowner tells the foreman to hand out the wages in the opposite order that you would expect. He says, call the workers 
and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. And, and this is just so crazy to think about. Because just think about it for a minute. If you went the normal way, the way you would expect, everyone would have left happy. The people begging for work in the morning, they would have been thrilled with their denarius. They would have thanked the landowner for the work and gone home happy to their kids. And as the, the rest of the workers came, they would all be thrilled with the generosity of the landowner. But Jesus wants to teach the first workers, the, the disciples, people who have been grown up in the church, people who have sacrificed a lot. He wants to teach them a lesson about grace. And so he says, call the last ones first. And so I hope you can picture this. They all come out of the vineyard. Uh, the ones who have been working all day, they're dirty, they're sweaty, they're tired. And he tells them to stand aside for the minute and, and let the ones who came only an hour ago, who have barely broken a sweat, worked in the evening with the sun already setting, let them come and get paid first. And when they do come and get paid, you could imagine they're rejoicing. They worked for an hour, maybe less, and the, the foreman, he gives them $170. Not a bad hourly wage. And so you can see them, you can picture them celebrating, and then the guys who have been there all day, they're like, what's going on over there? Hey, how much did he give you? They say, 170 bucks. And you can imagine these people who started at the beginning, they're getting excited now too. They're doing some quick math in their head. They're like, okay, 170 bucks for one hour. I work 12 hours. That's like 2,000 bucks. Like, we are going to get so much money. We won't have to worry about work for ages. But then they get up, and it's their turn to get paid, and they receive one denarius, 170 bucks. Just like the people who started at the beginning. And so, as you can imagine, they start to grumble. They start to complain against the landowner. Uh, they're wondering to themselves, what kind of business is this? What's going on here? Well, that's exactly Jesus' point, isn't it? The kingdom of heaven isn't a business. Thank God that it's not. Imagine if we were just going to get paid uh, what we deserved uh, according to our, our sinful lives. No, Jesus is showing his disciples uh, when you left your job and your family and when you came and you worked all day in my vineyard, this wasn't some sort of a business investment. So stop thinking about it uh, like that. You came to work for me because I came to you when you needed me. And the disciples, like the workers, the, the ones who worked all day, they had clearly forgotten this. And you can see that in their awful, awful complaint to the landowner. How, how do they complain? We see this in verse 12. In verse 12, we see their complaint. Uh, the people who worked all day, they said, these who were hired last worked only one hour, and yet you have made them equal to us. And I think at first, we can kind of sympathize with them. But, but that's when we fall into the trap. Because when we think about this a little bit more closely, we should say, excuse me? What did you just say? You have made them equal to us? You were equal to them all along. This morning, every single one of you was begging for a job. Every single one of you was just begging for some money to feed your family. The only difference between you and them is I came to you first. And then when I came back later, I found them and invited them in too. And now you're going to get prideful. You're going to demand justice. Because I came to you first? 
And so the landowner asks the first laborers, are you really envious because I was generous? Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? And thankfully the answer is yes, he does. If he wanted to go out all day and hire all these desperate, desperate people, that, that was his prerogative if he was generous. And by God's grace, God is generous. That, that's in his very nature. He loves to give gifts, to give grace to each of us. And so what he's telling the first workers is don't look down on others just because I called you first and you had gainful employment longer. And what he says at the end, what he says in Matthew 20, verse 16, it's a restatement of what he already said to Peter, um, closer to the beginning of answering his question. He says, so the last will be first and the first will be last. And so what that means is the people who are first, who worked all day, who worked hard, people like the disciples, first to follow Jesus, gave up so much to him? Well, they're the first. And they will be last. And that they will be confronted with the fact, just like each of us are, that ultimately we're just beggars. We're just beggars. We don't deserve anything from God. But at the same time, the last will be first. Because God goes to these beggars, and he lavishes grace upon them. He goes to beggars like us, and he calls us children of God. And so the last become first. And so what we see is that this is just basically this parable. It's a little summary of the entire gospel. Jesus takes the high and the mighty, uh, people like the apostle Paul, who by earthly standards had so much to boast in, And he makes them say uh, what we see in Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 10. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The only reason we have the gift of doing any good works at all is because God prepared these things in advance for us to do and called us to do this work for him in advance. And so what we see as well in this beautiful phrase that the the last will be first and the first will be last is that this phrase, it points us right to the perfect example of this wonderful truth, this gospel truth. It points us right to Jesus Christ, doesn't it? Because Jesus Christ is the perfect illustration of this principle. Think about how Jesus Christ was first. Jesus Christ was Lord over all creation. And he came down, made the trip into town. And when he came down, he became last. He was born in a barn, surrounded by animals. He was laid in a manger. As he grew up, he was rejected and ridiculed by men. And while he was here, he told us, He told us this fact that he came not to be served, but to serve. I think one of the most beautiful ways he illustrates that fact is in this wonderful story. Hopefully you know it. This story about the time when Jesus washes his disciples' dirty feet. Shortly before he dies, he gets down on his hands and knees and he washes their unwashed feet, including the feet of Judas. 
the one who he knows is just about to betray him, he gets down and washes his feet. And that's the illustration for us of the first becoming last, so that the last might become first in Jesus Christ. And we have to remember this Jesus, this humble, beautiful Jesus, this is the one that Peter was questioning. This is the one that Peter went up to, and he said, hey Jesus, we've given up a lot for you. What are you doing, Peter? What are you thinking? You're telling Jesus Christ that you gave up a lot for him? But so often we do the same. What we've given up for him is nothing in comparison with what he has given up for you. Because he loves you so dearly. This Jesus who was first in the universe, Lord over all. And he was about to, right, shortly after this story, he was about to be reduced to last of all. He was about to be stripped and beaten and nailed to a cross alongside criminals, treated as a criminal. And there he would be forsaken, not just by man, but also by God. And, that, and he did that also, that helpless sinners like his disciples, like Peter and, and like us, that we might be brought back into his vineyard. We might be brought back to God. We might be invited into his pre presence to work alongside him and to work for him now and eternally. And people like Peter and people like us, we have the audacity to approach this Jesus Christ as if he owes us anything at all. He didn't owe us anything in the first place. Certainly not now. And that's the lesson that Jesus wanted to teach Peter and he wants to teach us. That we shouldn't be counting and uh, comparing what we give up for Jesus. And we shouldn't look at what people around us give up for Jesus. And we shouldn't be trying to count, okay, uh, it looks like God's given me this many blessings, uh, whether it be my family or uh, my financial situation or the vacations. And he's given that person more. He gave that person, that undeserving sinner, more than he gave me in this regard. How can he make that person equal to me? Now, that's not how we should look at God's grace. And likewise, when we feel as though following Jesus is costing, <coughs> excuse me, when we feel like it's costing us a lot, uh, we uh, need to look a little bit less at ourselves, look a little bit less at what we're giving up for God, look a, bit, a little bit less at the people around us and what they're giving up for God, and we need to look a little bit more at Jesus Christ and how much he gives up for sinners like us. Because this just betrays a kind of problem in our hearts. It shows our priorities are in the wrong place. We want created things more than we want the creator himself who gave himself for us to bring us back to him. So instead, as God continues to invite us to work in his vineyard, as he gives us tasks to do for his kingdom, we should view this as a beautiful privilege. And as he continues to invite others to join in that work as well, uh, we shouldn't respond with any kind of envy, any kind of jealousy. Instead, whenever Jesus calls us to work for him, when he calls others to work for him, we should respond in the very same way. We should say, wow, he has done it again. Our great and our gracious landowner, Jesus Christ, he's gone back to the beggars. 
He's made the journey back into town. He's found people desperate, desperate for work, desperate for grace. And he's called them to work in his vineyard with him and for him, not because of what they can do, but because of who he is. And he did this for us, and he, he's done this for others long ago. And what we should say is, wow. This vineyard owner really does show grace all day. From our little children to the 103-year-old men. He shows grace all day long. And you know what? Just wait until these new believers see how much he's going to pay them. What an awesome God that we have. Amen. Now let's pray together in response and then we'll sing, uh, Now thank we all our God. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for the wonderful, gracious invitation that you extend to each of us. Uh, an invitation to come with you. Uh, an invitation to come know you. And an invitation to come work hard for you. Lord, thank you that uh, you graciously uh, bestow uh, blessings and, and work and rewards on all those who believe in your Son. And you count us as those who have uh, never rebelled against you, never um, been unemployed at all. Lord, thank you for the wonderful work that you've given us to do. Uh, work in our families, work in our church, uh, work in our neighborhoods, and uh, work everywhere else. Lord, help us to do this work passionately. Help us to be willing to make great sacrifices for you as you have made great sacrifices for us. In Jesus' name alone do we pray these things. Amen.